Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to welcome writer and entrepreneur, Inez Ribastello, whose new memoir titled Life After Windows became a national Amazon bestseller within the first week of its launch. Inez will be speaking to us from Tarboro, North Carolina, where she lives with her husband, Stephen, and their two children. Inez graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 1998 with a degree in journalism and mass communications, then left for New York City to pursue a career in the culinary arts. It was there that her love for good wine and good food was born, and she knew deep within herself that working at Windows on the World, on the top floor of the Twin Towers, was where she was meant to be. Inez eventually got her dream job, and for over two incredible dream come true years, she lived in New York City, she directed America's largest beverage program at Windows on the World, and she drank wine every day and every night. She learned how to catalog and recognize thousands of wines, and she also learned how to run and manage people and a business to success. Then, on September 11, 2001, while she was back in Tarboro for her sister's wedding, Inez's dream job evaporated into shattering, thick, black clouds of smoke. The life she'd always dreamed of disappeared in the blink of an eye. By the way, in the spirit of full disclosure, my own 50th birthday celebration took place at Windows on the World. It was fabulous. It was filled with love, music, great food, and great wine and has become an unforgettable, cherished memory for me and my guests. I'm looking forward to talking with Inez about her love affair with wine, food, and windows on the world, the way she was affected by 9-11, how she healed from her all-encompassing grief, and her at times fun, downright funny, poignant, and riveting memoir, Life After Windows, that shares both the realities of her devastating loss and her inspiring journey to healing and rebirth for what is surely going to be a captivating interview. And just off the cuff, everyone, I have to tell you, it is really funny. And I, I mean, there are parts of it, even though it is, the Inez's book addresses such a tragic uh, event, it is downright funny in parts. I found myself laughing out loud. So, <laughs> so hi, Inez. A warm hi. welcome to Brief and Rebirth Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Irene, for having me. I am truly honored to be here. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. So let's start with you describing your life leading up to winning your dream job at Windows on the World. Yeah, you know, I look back on it and I was... Uh, 
almost like uh, like a teeny bopper cheerleader type personality. I was in love with life, all of it. I was in love with people. I was um, um, never that that um, excited or into like uh, making good grades in college. I kind of like did that in high school and, and middle school so that I could get into Carolina. And then once I got there, I, you know, just lived um, a, a pretty uh, carefree life. And um, yeah, I call it um, growing up as a country club Christian. You know, I, I never doubted faith or, or doubted um, God because I didn't really have a reason to, you know, I, while my parents had divorced when I was quite young, they were, they were both alive. I, I'd never lost a sibling. Um, Even I just, when your parents got divorced, I have to say, I couldn't get over how well everyone got along in your family. Oh, yes. Yeah, so you didn't even have the typical trauma that a lot of kids find with that. Everybody was kumbaya, right? Right, right. I think they did a great job at being kumbaya. There was probably a lot that we didn't see, which kudos to my parents for, for being super mature and, um, and, and the step parents, but yeah, just really, um, happy. I was just this happy, carefree, um, almost walking along in blinders, just very unaware and, um, it didn't seem to get affected by much. Um, and so, uh, cruise into New York city. I was dating this man. I thought I was going to marry, um, living with four other women in, in an apartment and, um, didn't, uh, you know, the, the whole goal was culinary school, right? I was going to go to culinary school and then possibly maybe use my journalism degree to write about, uh, food or even better yet, get a, uh, get a show on the food network. And, you know, again, to, to talk about how naive I was thought, yeah, I could just go get a show on the food network. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, well, not a, come on. <laughs> well, thank you. But yeah, so, um, just kind of excited about possibilities and, um, and ambitious, but like not overly ambitious. I was never going to like give up a night out on the town for, you know, <laughs> to get up early the next day for, for something that might be competitive, but yeah, just, um, kind of first time I went to north of the Mason Dixon line was when I moved to New York and um had no problems uh like being you know getting into the city and taking it um you know by the horns I loved it I completely loved it I loved the anonymity of it you know now all of a sudden people couldn't get in touch with me as easily as they had and they they weren't telling me what to do um and they weren't um I don't want to use the word manipulate, but they, they weren't like, they didn't have a heavy hand in directing my path. And so while you were on your own, you were a big girl, you were growing up. I was growing up. <laughs> um, yeah. So while culinary school was the plan, um, it, it really within, within days of being there, you know, wine inserted itself with the opportunity to work at bestsellers and it wasn't long before I realized that I like to drink more than I like to cook. Uh, and, and that, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm seeing that there, there are careers in wine. Wow. So, 
by the way, reading your book, everyone, it's an education on wine. So if you really want to, it, besides making you laugh, it's also a wonderful education about the wine. So tell us about your love affair with wine, food, and windows on the world. And describe some of those amazing people you bonded with there who passed during 9-11. So uh, probably within nine months of being in the city, I, I, I got the, the job offer to become an assistant seller master at Windows on the World. And it was an instant, immediate connection um, with all of it. Uh, being literally on top of the world where you see planes fly beneath you and you can see, um, you can see all three of the bridges on the East river, you know, uh, across to the, to New Jersey on the West side. And, um, then the people, you know, I think we had 80 different nationalities, um, represented in, in staff. And I was, in love with the learning of all these different cultures and you know um the 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 muslim population would be in the uh corridor between the 106th and 107th floors during ramadan praying uh to in the direction uh you know and people brought food that they had made from home and shared it um windows was just this great big family and um, whereas wine, I think at the time, especially uh, in New York, had a little bit of pretension to it. Um, I was talking about it to anyone from the president of the company to the, the uniform woman, you know, and, and all of a sudden these people that, you know, weren't identified as wine drinkers were coming up to me and saying, hey, I need to take a wine to a party. Could you recommend one? And they felt so comfortable with me. And, and I think part of it was because I was learning also. And another part is, I think when you love something, you want everyone else to love it. You don't try to hide it from people. Oh yeah, your passion was infectious. Right. And so it was really neat, like young um you know, young kids, older people, they were, I would meet them downtown on my day off in a wine shop and help them shop for their wines. Um, and yeah, I was very much in love with the people. Um, and then, you know, the, the building, I mean, so it was amazing. Yeah. And then, you know, once I got promoted, then when I worked at nights, I was able to off, uh, order off the menu. And, you know, I, I had, um, I don't think I'd ever had duck confit until, you know, moving to New York or um, semi foie gras and all the things that were not readily available in Eastern North Carolina. Um, and so beautifully, exquisitely prepared. And presented. Um, yeah. And so it's just, you know, how could you not love that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so besides the food and the wine, though, there were certain people who really um, made their way into your heart. Yeah. And yeah. who lost them. That was part of your tremendous grief. Uh, when Windows, when that 9-11 happened, do you want to tell us about one or two or three of those special people? Yeah, they were, I mean, they were all special to me. Um and I, it's a little intimidating to, to mention three. Um, if you'd rather not, it's okay too. Well, no, I just, you know, I'm trying to think which three, like, uh, 
I know you spoke about one woman in your book. Um, was she your manager or something? So uh, I, I spoke about Heather Ho, who was the pastry chef. Right. Who had, who had, this was tragic. She had just started and uh, she'd moved from Hawaii or, or the West Coast. She, I think she was from Hawaii, but she'd maybe moved from San Francisco. And um, she was really unhappy because windows was a production, right? Like you weren't going in and making 50 desserts a night. You were making 500. And it was, I think it was more corporate than she had anticipated. And so the general manager and the owner had asked me to take her out to eat lunch and just kind of see if I could like, because nobody loved that place more than I did. So they were like, if there's anybody who can make her fall in love with it. And so she and I had gone to eat lunch and, and she was pretty new, but she said, you know, I'm just not happy here. This is not the job for me. And, and she'd given notice. And so she was leaving. You know, and, and, and I think about that. It was just, you know, had, had the month or two weeks that she'd been given started a little earlier. She, she would not have been there. Um, and then the two gentlemen who worked with me, um, Jeff Cole, who's, whose girlfriend is now one of my very best friends, and I dedicated a chapter. In, I remember in that, that, right. Um, he was, you know, learning. He, he was a finance guy who, was, who had fallen in love with wine and was giving up, you know, a previous career. And, and he and I were, were quite close. And, and then Steve Adams, who was an older gentleman who had said he had never been appreciated at any job until this one. And we just promoted him to beverage manager right underneath. And, and, and both of those men were there because I wasn't, you know, that's why they were there that early. Oh my. Um, so oh I, my. Oh just, my God. You could see why you'd be grieving so much. You were so, it's, it, first of all, you're a people lover and you're, you're really deeply in love with these people. So after 9-11, you felt so broken your dream job is, is gone and the people you care deeply about are gone. They're all banished in the blink of an eye. Would you like to tell us about, I know your unbelievable grief um, and how that expressed itself every day? Yeah, yeah, it was so foreign, Irene. Like I, I was... Um... All of a sudden, this bubble you'd grown up with was like completely, your whole world was. Right. Warm. Nothing, nothing felt the same. You know, um, it was uh, this, this it, it just took, it, it almost, um, it felt like it was sucking life out of me every day. Just was whatever it was. And I couldn't, I could not find something to be joyful about. Um, and, and again, I, tr historically, I had not been an angry person and the anger, I mean, just like anger. Um, and that was so foreign to me that then with, with, when I would feel that anger at such a high intensity, then I would just become incredibly sad and um I was talking to my friend last week who said I had no idea you cried that much he goes but you know you talk about crying and, and I am a crier um but this was waking up in the morning and I was crying I was literally crying when my eyes opened 
Um, and then just this um, exhaustion. I mean, all I wanted to do was sleep because if I was asleep, at least I wouldn't be. Um, Amazing you could even fall asleep. Right. Well, there was a, there was a really um, unhealthy amount of drinking so that I could sleep. You know, anesthetizing yourself. Yeah, I've 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 never been a pill person, and and gratefully, I, I didn't. You know, I didn't have that. Um, my mother took all the pills that the doctor prescribed for me. So, that, <laughs> that, that, um, but yeah, I was um, angry, and, and you know, somebody asked me about being fearful one time, and and I do remember seeing planes flying low, and I would duck. You know, if I was down on the street, I would, I would get behind a, a bench or something, but fear of dying was not what I had. Like there were many days where I was like, this would be so much better if I was dead. If I had been up there and um, lost my life, I would not be experiencing this hell on earth. The pain. You were in that such is my pain. reality. Yeah. So, but the, one of the beautiful things in this, as you're describing how you were crying and what you went through is one of the things that helped you get through was your relationship with your husband, Stephen. And so would you like to tell us how you met him and the incredible ways he was there for you? He gets five stars for how he was there for you while you were grieving, my goodness. So he was the sommelier at Windows, which is how I met him. And um, Which is a very, by the way, you learn in the book, that's a very big deal, everyone. And that's something (laughs) I learned. I had no idea how arduous it is to become a sommelier. That's really (laughs) fascinating. Yeah, and he, he is one of the best tasters I've ever met, and I, I've met quite a few. And, you know, Stephen and I, um, polar opposite in that he identified as an atheist. Um, I think he would now say he's agnostic. Um, but, uh, and, and pretty, you know, um, pessimistic or, or cynical, you know, just in general. Um, and he told me uh, when we when we first met and started hanging out that he was like, I don't think I'll be alive past 30. You know, he he kind of lived on the edge and um, wasn't like um, wasn't always careful in, in everything he did. Um, so, you know, and then and then 9-11 happens and the way. Um, you know, we dealt with it. He was such a, a, a rock, you know, I'm sure he was dealing with his own feelings in his way, but they were very internal, you know, um, he would just hold me and let me cry. And he never wavered in terms of like, he never said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I had to have been the most depressing person, you know, to live with and to be with. And he never looked away. Um, It's amazing. I don't know how he did that. That's amazing. So now you begin to heal your grief and move towards rebirth, which is a process. So you want to talk to us about how love was reborn through your children who provided you with renewed insights on life? Yes. Um, your favorite topic, I'm sure. Yes, 
<laughs> but, you know, the, the irony is not lost on me that the universe handed Cynthia to us on September 12th. Wow. Um, and, you know. How much later, how much after the original 9-11 did she arrive? Three years and one day, three years and one day. And, you know, all of a sudden this, um, this treasure is handed <laughs> to us. And I think part of it is, you know, surviving as new parents, we were forced to think about other things. <laughs> um, For sure. <laughs> right. And so um, part, part of it was that. And then the other is I started feeling hopeful again. And I had um, not felt that feeling for three years. Um, and so hope is, hope is big, you know. It's true. It's true. And then you have a little boy too, right? Yes. And he was born in 2007 and he has, um, he's the definition of joy. I mean, he just wide open and um, very happy and, you know, just a, a cuddler. Uh, and, and they were, it was almost like they knew when they came into the world that I needed their love and affection as much as they needed it. That's so fabulous. I can relate because I have three grandchildren who I adore and I can relate to that also. <laughs> um, you have some wonderful stories about growing exciting new businesses with Stephen as now you're starting to heal and move on. And of course, your businesses would focus on good food and good wine and provide you with a new sense of purpose. Would you like to share that with us? Sure. We, we opened on the square um, in October of 2002. We are getting ready to celebrate 20 years um, in the fall. And, you know, that was, Stephen and I call that our first child, actually. Um, and so that was your restaurant. Right. Our restaurant, restaurant. Our and it was child. on a square, like that's where it was located, right? Right. On, on the courthouse square. And, um, you know, we, Stephen gave my dad an 18 month commitment. He did not think that our town would support it, but it's been incredibly supported by the people all over Eastern North Carolina. And um, I think my dad was right with the, if you build it, they will come, you know, people were looking for something that's, that's different. And again, you know, great food and great wine doesn't, shouldn't be pretentious, right? Like if people weren't buying wine in Tarboro, North Carolina before 2002, either it was because they were afraid of it or there wasn't a place that like educated you about it. And we've been super intentional about both of those. Like let's, we, we want you to know as much, if not more about the wine. And we want to make sure that we, there's no pretense involved. So that's been very fun. Um, we opened Tarver Brewing Company six years ago. To be honest, Irene, because there were plenty of people in our community who, who didn't come to Almost Fair because wine isn't their thing and food isn't their thing. And so beer seemed like um, another way to, to grow a business and engage community. And that has just been unbelievable watching people that we've never seen in the restaurant come to the brewery. You've got all, you've got everything covered there. <laughs> and by the way, to everyone on YouTube who's watching this, 
I'm looking at Inez with her earrings. And at first I thought TBC was to be continued, but I realized they're for Tarboro Brewing Company. So, well done, Inez. <laughs> Good eye. Good eye, <laughs> So you, when you turned 40, well, for, let me go back. I wanna, I wanna um, ask this question. It eventually became clear to you that timing is everything and the universe is always working in ways we can never truly understand. So how did this new insight play out when you and Stephen found your forever home? That's a great story. Oh my gosh, it, 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 you know, so we- Someone was smiling on your shoulders. Someone had you come. For sure. We were coming back from a, a wine trip in Oregon and we had a layover in Texas and my dad, I called my dad, I think he was keeping the kids. And he said, um, there's a woman who's moved here from Michigan and she wants to buy your house. And I said, well, our house isn't for sale. And he said, well, then make her an offer that she won't take. So Stephen and I made this offer and she took it. And so we all of a sudden don't have a house. And we um, had passed this house ever since we moved to Tarboro and we called it the ugliest house in Tarboro. I mean, it's a flat, um, you know, it looks one story from the street view and um, just not flattering, not a pretty house. And we would always talk about who's going to buy that ugly house. And it had been on the market for three years when we sold ours. And one morning, Stephen and I got up and I said, do you know what? house I keep thinking about because we've been looking at houses and he said the one on South Howard and I said yes and he goes I've got it in my mind too it was wild and so we called my dad who's a realtor and said hey can you take us and we opened the doors and they are floor to ceiling windows that overlook this hill and this creek and all of a sudden I started panicking, like, we have to get it, we have to get it, somebody's gonna get it before. And, and the gentleman, Mr. Raskin, who was the first Jewish person to build in Tarboro, he um, and his wife had moved to a, like a patio home, kind of retirement community, and he loved this house. It was his, it was his baby. And I said, see, we, we can't, we can't afford what he's asking for it. And this is after it had been reduced over three years. And so we put in what we could afford and he accepted it. Wow. And Irene, he died a month later. Oh my gosh. And one, like a few weeks after he died, a bird got in the house and I just knew it was Mr. Raskin. Oh, that's a, such a, I've got chills. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> so now you've got your beautiful dream home. Everything's working out, but you turn 40 and you go into a personal crisis, which eventually led you and Steven into therapy. What would you like to tell us about that time in your life? And how did being in therapy improve your marriage? I tell people all the time, don't suffer, go into counseling, talk right. about it. We, we should have gone into therapy the moment that we moved back to Tarboro. I mean, what was interesting with our, we, we had wonderful, wonderful counselors. I, I saw one by myself and then the, then we saw one together and then Steven ended up seeing the one we saw together by himself. And, and there was so much baggage rooted in our parents' divorce. Like 9-11 was some of it, 
But in terms of how we related to one another, like it went back to the scripts that we were handed by our parents. But both of you and Stephen had parents who had divorced, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, my mother's been divorced twice and so has his. And, you know, we were not, um, we, we didn't have the tools in our toolbox to be healthy partners and, and healthy parents. And, you know, he had resisted it for a long time. And then when we separated, you know, and often I hear that's what happens. It, it comes too late because somebody says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then when all, when really all the shit hits the fan, then a lot of times it's too late. And so when we went into therapy, it was for co-parenting. But the therapist said, just so you know, I use the same therapy for co-parenting as I do for reconciling. And we did the work. I mean, we did a lot of work and it was. What do you call work? What do you call the work? I mean, we had to listen to one another. Like this is how, you know, and, and the therapist coached us through the whole thing. But, you know, when this happens and you respond in this way, it makes me feel this way. You know, one thing that Stephen would say to me is you're busy. You're so busy all the time that I don't even feel like I count. And I had to, I had to sit with that. And one thing that came out of it was when I'm a workaholic, when at six o'clock, the phone went off, I, I, the phone was no more. And I didn't look at it again until seven. And um, yeah, it was just things you have to, you know, no one's perfect, right? So I can't go in and say, well, Stephen, like part of it was me really hearing him and like being empathetic to these are his feelings. Like I can't tell him what he is feeling. If he feels it, he feels it and, and, and vice versa. And so it was, what was so beautiful about it is that we, um, we came out of it stronger than ever. And personally, I, um, I became a very different person who I'm so much more prouder of. Well, you're conscious now. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, that's what I would like in it too, because I've been in therapy also, you become much more conscious about the consequences of what you're saying and, and your behaviors and you know you have some choices in there um so now what inspires you to your memoir i loved it it's remarkable it's well written it's funny it's really interesting so what inspires you to write it and um and it's so great about how it describes both your heartbreak and your healing process so tell us about that now um I get great therapy out of writing and well you started I, your major in journalism right so in the beginning yes, you were a writer. Yes. and I had a blog for a long time that that focused on the master sommelier path which um people became very engaged with with the blog um and so part of it was I need to write this for myself and for my children um because I want to, I want to have out there this journey so I can look back on it and say, like, you can get through anything. But the bigger part was, if there's one person that can read this, 
and, and see um, a little light at the end of whatever darkness they are experiencing, it would be selfish not to, not to put, not to write that and put that out there. You know I mean? And I love that about what you're doing with your, with your podcast. Like the only thing that we are really created to be is to be helpers and lovers of our, of our neighbors. And so well, you're like, you're, it gives people hope. My, this podcast is to give people hope. Exactly. People. Exactly. No matter how dark or how deep or how much despair you are experiencing there, there is a way out. It looks different for every single person. Right. Uh, right. And you're, and you're not alone, right? You're just not alone. You're not exactly. Ina's, um, I loved your story about Tarboro Brewing Company, exemplified by your earrings. So, and you've done a lot of personal, and I see you're also talking to us from your car. So you must have. <laughs> sure. yes. yeah. I've been selling so, beer all day today, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what would you like to tell us? I know that you have, um, you're very involved civically. That's part of your personal growth. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, not everybody likes this part. <laughs> well, you're, you're talking to a, a northerner, so I, I, I definitely do. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I mean, here's the here's the thing: like, building businesses is great, right? I'm I'm not going to take anything away from people who build successful businesses, but my uh, I didn't move back to the town where I was born and raised for that small of a thing, right? Like I wanna change systems. I wanna break down barriers. I wanna be very much a part of the growth of everyone. And um, while a business often gives you a platform, like, and, I, and I'm grateful for that platform, at the end of the day, like my, my joy comes in seeing others who have not been given the same opportunities or the privileges that I've been given um, rise. <laughs> and what I didn't know, and again, this was a little bit of me being like living with blinders on, is that, you know, the majority of my black friends who grew up in Tarboro with me, they don't feel this love of Tarboro like I do. And when I talk to them about that, they're like, yeah, you know, our experience growing up was very different from yours. And I don't want that to be the case for the future generations. So and you're so enlightening that, people to your company. Right. You have events and you have different people coming together. I think that's mm -hmm. so wonderful. That might be part of your sole purpose now. You need to come visit. I, I would love to do that. <laughs> I would, and when you come to New York again, Hey, we'll have a glass of wine. <laughs> I love that. I live right outside the city. Um, so tell us about healing. And I just love this comment that you made in your book. It says, um, change can be sex, can be scary. It can be sad. It can even overwhelm, but it can also be very, very good. So why, in your opinion, does the healing process, which encourages people and enlightens them about making change in their lives, make a person stronger and wiser. What would you like to say about that? Yeah, I think about that all the time. And um, 
I think, you know, I go back, I, I start with my uncle who said in a sermon, like, you can't experience God's grace until you experience true pain. Um, and, and so that's true. Like I, I didn't really understand the grace of the world, the grace of the universe, the grace of God until, until coming out on the other side of, of nine 11. Um, but I think, you know, wisdom directly relates to empathy. Um, and it's very difficult to be empathetic if nothing has ever kind of knocked you off your balance in whatever way. Maybe lose something that was like you lose the job that you loved or, or, or lose the boyfriend to someone else or, or whatever that is. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be death. Although I do think when you lose people, you have this, um, this kind of breaking of spirit that once it, once it heals or, or comes back to life, you see the world very differently. You see people very differently. And I think your, you know, wisdom is, Hey, that person may be slamming on the horn right now, flipping me off and acting like a complete jerk. And I have the, you know, I have the option to lay on the horn right back, flip him off, you know, whatever, or I can smile. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off or, you know, it's that simple, but, um, I just think often healing, um, if, if you want to heal, you have to see bigger. Yeah. It gives you um, a different perspective. I think mm -hmm. it gives you more of an overview as opposed to taking things so bitterly and personally, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, Absolutely. So now everybody's in love with Inez. So tell us all the ways for the members of our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience to, to connect with you, your book, which is a great, which is a terrific story. So go ahead and tell us how they can, what's so, your website, what's your, how do they, how do they find you, Inez? Instagram is my, my preferred method of, of posting and reading. And so it's, it's very uh, creative. It's Inez Ribostello. Um, and spell that for everyone. I oh, am yes. easy. Go ahead. R I B U S T E L L O. And um, in my profile, it has the links to Charbor Brewing Company on the square and our satellite brewery, TBC West. That's great. And what is the Inez tip for finding joy in life? Whenever you are down, do something nice for someone else and you will you will just be joyful every single time. It doesn't have to be purchasing a gift. It could be taking in your neighbor's trash can uh, from the side of the road. But when you are doing something nice for someone else, joy is just for sure there to follow. That is very wise. I found that too. You know, Ina's Life After Windows leaves its readers feeling positive and hopeful about lessons learned and memories cherished. It is a captivating memoir and you are an inspiring role model. Thank you from my heart for sharing your moving journey from devastating loss to healing and rebirth and also 
for enlightening all of us about good food and good wine. Everyone read the book, you'll learn a lot. And here's a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all grief and rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and especially on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and hit notify and make sure you'll get inspiring new interviews like this one with Inez coming your way. Thank you so much. As Thank I you. like to say, as I like to say, to be continued, not there's also Tarboro Brewing Company and there's to be continued. Many <laughs> blessings and bye for now. Mm-hmm.